Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to, what, to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, right? And we said last week we respond to the gospel by believing and receiving, and every time we respond to the gospel, it's good news all over again. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. I'm curious this morning, do you ever wonder how things work? And I think this is going to be based on our personality. There are a limited number of people, I think, that really get inquisitive when they see something. It's just, well, how does this thing operate? How does this work? For most of us, we don't care how it works. We just want to know that it works, right? I don't care how my washing machine runs as long as it runs and gets the clean car, clothes clean. I don't care how my car works as long as it gets me from point A to point B. But there are certain people that, yeah, they want to know how things operate. And, and, and many times, if you're, if you're like me, you don't know how things like a furnace runs until, you know, it starts acting up and then you're on YouTube watching videos saying, how can I solve this problem or that problem? And so in the last several years, we had a very old furnace to, until recently and I learned how furnaces kind of operate. And I've learned how washing machine or dryers work and different things. You'll learn those things as you have necessity, but most of the time we don't care how things work, just if they are working. We're in this series, Easter People, and we're looking at uh, this whole thing of how Easter is not just one day, but it needs to be a way of life. How are we to live as people of resurrection every single day? And last week we talked about responding to the gospel, how we respond to the gospel by believing Something, the cross says there's something to believe, and the empty tomb says there is something to receive. And um, we, as I said, every time we respond to the gospel, it's good news all over again. When I live out the gospel, when I believe what the, what the gospel tells me every day, when I receive what the gospel has for me every day, it will be good news all over again in my Life. Today I want to talk about, and I've titled this message, Resurrection Power. And we're going we're gonna to talk this morning and look this morning at, well, how, does, how is our life supposed to work? How is our life supposed to operate? Instead of just sitting back and saying, well, I just hope my life goes pretty good. I hope I'm pretty satisfied. I hope I have a pretty good life. How, how is it supposed to work? How am I supposed to run and operate in this whole dynamic where Christ lives in me and the Holy Spirit lives in me and I have the Word of God and and I am saved and redeemed. What does that look like in my life? What does the resurrection power mean? One of the things to think about, just as a way of remembrance, when Jesus was on earth, how did Jesus live his life? He, didn't, he set aside his divine privileges. And he lived his life, really, in two primary ways. Under the authority of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he operated. That's how he did everything that he did here on this earth. And so today we want to look at that resurrection power. Here is our uh, big idea. The power of the resurrection is the power of life. You can remember that one, right? You can take that one home. 
Put that on your fridge. Remind yourself every day, the power of the resurrection is the power of life. The power that raised Christ from the grave is the thing that will empower me every single day to go out and do this thing called life, to navigate and manage the life that is set before me. So we have three principles this morning. We want to see three principles to understanding this resurrection power in our life. And this is just so, to me, it was just so great to go through this and, and, to, and to see God kind of work this out in my own life. Let's start in Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Here's the first verse. Here's what it says. But you will receive power. Because why? Because the gospel and the empty tomb tells us that the gospel is something to receive. So you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here's our first principle. And remember, the gospel is something to receive. So here's our first principle. It's simply this. The resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is an internal source. It is not an external force. It might, it might be demonstrated outside of us in ways, but it is an internal source that is working from with. In us, This means that this, this resurrection power, it's not my flesh at work. It's not an act of my willpower. Did you know your willpower is extremely ineffective? It really is. Willpower is extremely overrated. You want to know how, how ineffective willpower is? Just go to every January 1st when everybody sets their New Year's resolutions and how effective are we when we, through willpower, try to change our life. It doesn't work very well, very often, very much a very high failure rate. So we're talking about this internal source that is the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, two ways to look at this, okay? It's more than willpower, but two ways to look at this here. Um, first, we, will, will, we receive power when we receive the Holy Spirit. And so when I'm saved, I am filled with the Holy Spirit, so I receive power. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit equals power. You know, as we move forward into the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, and the followers of Jesus really display all sorts of miraculous manifestations of power. There's these tongues of fire that come down, and then, then they're speaking in foreign languages. Peter is preaching to all these people who, who aren't Jews, and they all understand him. He's able to communicate to them in a language he doesn't even know. And then they go on and they do all these miracles. Now, the question is, the question is, and we often get into this debate, well, should that should the power of the Holy Spirit look like that in my life? Should it look like that? And we get into one of the big debates today. You can Google this and you can YouTube this and find all kinds of discussions on this. It's the difference. And this is sweeping through so many different uh, denominations and, and groups of people today. It's the cessation argument that those things ceased and they ceased to happen. And then there's the continuation argument that these things continue. And yes, we should all expect these things. And I really think that misses really, there's, a, there's another question that we should really ask before we get to that even. There, there's a, there's an, another thing that is even more, I think, more significance to unpacking. Should these things that the, that the disciples did, should they be in my life? And it's kind of like a reality check. And it's simply this, that if you take your Bible and you look over the 4,000 years of biblical history, a lot of that stuff was not the norm. It was very, very rare. How many people in the Old Testament went around healing people for the, what, 2,000 or actually 4,000 years, really, of Old Testament history? Very few people got, went around. There was Elijah, and Elijah did some miracles. 
God did some very direct miracles, part of the Red Sea. God did some miracles himself. So it's not that God won't or can't do miracles. It's just that it's not necessarily the norm. And so when people say that we should all be doing these things today, that's not even, doesn't even, con- it's kind of contrary to Scripture. Now, if you get to Jesus, Jesus comes to the earth and does all these miracles. <clears throat> Why does he do all these miracles? He does these miracles to prove that he has been sent from God. They're the proof that he's the Messiah. They don't prove that he is God because he didn't do them through his own deity. He did them through the Holy Spirit. And they are to prove that he is sent by God. And all of his followers did miracles. Why? To prove they were sent by God. If you go into the book of Acts, you find out pretty much that all of the people who wrote the books of the New Testament did miracles. Why? To prove they were sent by God. To prove that the words they spoke, they spoke on behalf of God. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the simple. Here's the reality check. People doing supernatural miracles throughout the Bible's history was extremely rare. It was not the norm. You have from the, from the beginning of the ministry of Christ in AD 30 until about A.D. 60 or 70 in the Scriptures, where the disciples were doing these miracles, about 30 or 40 years. And they did them for a very specific reason, to prove, yes, we are here speaking on behalf of God. The word we have today is validated by the miracles they did all those years ago. Now, is this to say God doesn't do miracles today? God certainly does miracles today. And He certainly does mi- answers miracles in response to our prayers today. But I don't think, the the reason this is significant is that we shouldn't look at ourselves and say, well, if if I can't do miracles like that, I must not have the same power they had. That's false. We have the exact same power that Peter had, that Paul had, that John had, that James had, that all of his apostles had. We have the same power in us. It's just God demonstrates it in different ways at different times. And so it's not necessarily the norm, and we shouldn't expect that everybody can go out and do these kinds of things. Of miracles. Here's a second principle. Catch this. The goal of this power is that we would be witnesses. So we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And it's so, you know, it was for the disciples to go out, the apostles to go out and be witnesses in the world of the glory of God. We'll see this repeatedly today, how this, there's this idea to go out and bring God glory through our life. And, and so we have this power in us so that we would be His witnesses in the world today. Let me take you to one passage, 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to what Paul writes. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. It's not about bringing attention to us. But Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And they had this treasure in jars of clay, this, this incredible, they had Christ, they had the, this, this incredible power that shone through their brokenness. 
and brought glory to God. And, and he goes through the list of all the things they endured. And yet people saw Christ through all of their adversity and all of their persecution and all of their suffering. And they were witnesses of God and His glory and the gospel. But look how he finishes this in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our inner self, our new man, is being renewed day by day. In other words, while our flesh grows weaker, as our suffering grows greater, even as we grow older, the Holy Spirit in us continues to expand. He becomes bolder, he grows stronger, and he shines brighter, all for the glory of God. And the reality check is simple. As my flesh grows weaker, the Holy Spirit in me can grow stronger and be a witness to the incredible power of God at work in my life. That's the way it's supposed to work. When we respond to the gospel, when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we receive this power, and people should see this power in our life. Through the difficulties that we go through, people should look and say, there is something about you that is different. There just is. We are God's witness as He shines through our brokenness. So that is the first principle. The first principle of resurrection power. It's an internal source. It's not an external force. Okay, let's look at a second principle this morning. Second principle. Resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is an infinite source, not a limited resource. It's an infinite source, not a limited resource. Think about that. The reality is, this is very simple, but the Holy Spirit is God, and just as God is infinite, just as God is eternal, so is the Holy Spirit. He is. The Holy Spirit, He is God, and He is eternal. We have to, we just have to, we just have to get this down. We just have to understand the Holy Spirit is God. You can go throughout the Bible and find various places where it talks about God and says it's the Holy Spirit or talks about the Holy Spirit and says that He is God. They, they, they just are linked together. Hebrews 9.14, listen to this verse. This is the verse is really powerful. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit... The Holy Spirit's eternal. The eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Two things in there are amazing. First, the simple point I'm making there is that the Holy Spirit is eternal. He's this eternal, infinite God. He does not have a limited capacity. He has power that is unlimited. And you know, you, you know where this, limited, uh, this unlimited capacity and power of God shows up? Who uses it? Who uses it in this verse? How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Okay, Christ hangs on the cross, right? And he bears all the sins of the world. He, he bears this massive amount of sin. He, he bears all the burdens of the world. This, he has this huge, incredible weight placed upon him. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't hang there in his omnipotence, in his own deity. He hangs there in his, in his humanity. And he does what? He relies on what? The power of the Holy Spirit. And it's right there in the verse. Who through the eternal spirit, through the Holy Spirit, he offered himself without blemish to God. Who empowered Christ to hang on that? cross and bear all of those sins the holy spirit it's the power of the spirit within him 
This, this, this spirit that has infinite capacity. Un, he's an unlimited resource. He's not just a resource. He is an unlimited source of power. We just need to own that today. We need to get that today just as Jesus understood it. Look what, look what uh, David writes in Psalms 139. Think about this. The Holy Spirit, he's everywhere. Here's what David writes. Where shall I go from your spirit? And we all know that he's talking about God here, right? Because God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. He is infinite in being. He's omnipotent in His power. He has an unlimited capacity of power for us. He just, that's who He is. That's who He is. Just know the Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a He. So many times, you hear it all the time, people talk about the Holy Spirit and they say, well, it's this and it's that and it's this in my life and it's that. No, it's a He. He is a person. He was omnipotent and omniscient and, and omnipresent and of unlimited capacity and power. Look, look at another passage here. We read this at the outset here. Look at this again. What does this tell us about the the Holy Spirit and His power, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance. Oh, this, is, this is not the passage we read at the outset. This is actually um, chapter 3. I think I've got the wrong reference here. <laughs> I'm doing terrible with that. That you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. No, this is Ephesians 1. I'm, I hope I got this in the right place. I'm I'm thinking I got my scripture wrong here. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice there again where Jesus is. He's seated, right? Why is, why is Jesus seated? Do you remember why Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? Because the work is done. Hebrews tells us he sat him down because the work is finished. All the work is done. And so he raised him from the dead and sat him down at his right hand. But there's that immeasurable greatness of his power. And the Holy Spirit's power is immeasurable. The, the power, it's, an, it's infinite. We, we have within us this, this capacity that we can't even comprehend. It's an immeasurable power. That is what is in us. That means when the Bible says that God never sleeps or slumbers, that God never wearies or wavers, that God never grows tired, that applies to the Holy Spirit. He has this immeasurable power. In other words, we have an internal source of power that is of unlimited supply. It's an infinite source of power at the same time. Now, what does this look like in the daily nine to five of life? That's, that's what's really important, right? I can tell you all this stuff. What does it look like on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Three things. We have more power than we believe. I'm just going to tell you, every one of us in this room, you have more power inside of you through the Holy Spirit than you believe. You just don't believe how much power you have within you. We just don't, none of us believe. I, I don't believe how much power I have. 
So often today we think about power in regard to its limits, right? You think about California and it's a really hot summer day and what do they do? They have rolling blackouts because the demand is so great on the electrical supply and so they have rolling blackouts. There's limits. We get in our car, we can drive 300 miles and then we stop and do what? We get more gas because why? We have a, a, a limited supply in our gas. Our gas tanks are only so big. And sometimes we fall in the trap even of... Um, I've been guilty of this, thinking, you know, we need to come to church every Sunday and fill up our tanks and fill up our emotional tank and fill up our spiritual tank. And and yeah, we we do live in the flesh and we do get tired and we do, but the reality is we need to reinforce that we have an unlimited supply of power in us. It's the Holy Spirit. More power than we can even believe. Yes, we get tired. Yes, we live in a physical body, but never lose sight of the unlimited power that you have. John 14 shares one of the most amazing verses in Scripture. Well, it's not that amazing, but I think a lot of times people read it and think, that what an outrageous verse. How can that verse even be true? And then we say, well, if it is true, it's true for the apostles in the Bible, or it's true for somebody else, but that certainly isn't true for me. Here's what it says in John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, and the gospel is what? Something to believe. We respond to the gospel. We believe, and it's good news. So whenever we believe, it's good news. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And we read that, and we're like, how can that? I can do the works that Jesus did. I can do greater works than Jesus did. How is that even possible? And we look at that and we think that's just mind-blowing. It's outrageous. Well, why is that the case? Actually, he tells us why that is the case. First, he tells us this, the great I am is going, so the greater I am can come. Think about that. Jesus himself said it, I'm going to leave, and when I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit's going to be an internal source of power for your life. And so the great I am is going to leave, and the greater I am is going to come. The greater I am, the Spirit. And, and the point of that is that Jesus walking beside us is of certain power. Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us is a greater power. We have more power than we believe. And so one of the reasons why this is true is because we have the Holy Spirit and He's this power. And Jesus was on earth and Jesus did ministry for three years, right? We live to be what? We live to be 80 or 90 and we have all those years to do ministry. We have our whole adulthood. We can go out. We now have the call of God on our life to go out and to collectively as the church and with the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit in us, we can do incredible things for God. We can do greater works than we would even believe. We have more power than we believe. He goes on though in verse 14 and finishes it off. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Notice again the emphasis here. We have this power in us for for one basic reason, two reasons really, to spread the gospel and to bring glory to the Father. Keep seeing that throughout the the text today, different texts. But, But notice here, Jesus tells us how we can do greater things than he did when he was on earth. Do you see it in there, in those verses? Do you see it? Let me show it to you again. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Asking me anything in my name, I will do it. Ask 
ask those things, ask those requests that I would ask for, ask things with a genuine heart, ask those things in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, and you know what? I will do it. So, yeah, we can do greater works than he did, but it's not necessarily us that's doing them. It's Christ that's doing them in us. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. And what, what, here's how it will work, is that just when Jesus walked the earth and he, he lived his life under the authority of the Father and under the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is in us and he will live through us under the authority of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit and together with the Holy Spirit, the three of them, the Trinity at work in me, will do amazing things and we have more power than we believe. So Christ will do these greater works through the power of the Holy Spirit who is in me. Secondly, we have more power than we can imagine. We think about this immeasurable power. We have more power than we can even imagine. Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to what? The power at work within us. Why again? To Him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why do I do these incredible works? Why? To bring glory to the Father. It's that simple. But, but I can do more. I have more power than I can even imagine. And I think a lot of the times, a lot of the times we just can't even imagine how God would use us. We can't even imagine how God would work in our life. We can't comprehend it. I think we tend to focus oftentimes more on what we can't do than what we can do. We focus on what we can't do instead of what we can do. And if we would stop focusing on what we can't do and just say, maybe even say, well, what could I possibly do? What could possibly happen in my life if I just surrendered myself to the power of the Holy Spirit. How might Christ use me? And what might faith, if I had a little more faith mixed into this all, what might that look like? And then finally, we have more power than we use. Let's just be honest. We have more power than we use. Anytime we give into sin, we have ignored the power that resides in us. Anytime we are too ashamed or too scared to share the gospel with somebody, we have, we have denied the power that is within us. Anytime we fail to forgive, are less than patient, grumble or complain, give in to lust, envy someone else or covet what isn't ours, we have simply ignored this power that is in us, this Holy Spirit power that we receive the moment we trusted Christ as Savior. Here's one example. <clears throat> Talk about a power that is infinite, that has no limits. Matthew 18, here's a great illustration. Peter comes up to Jesus and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. This is the question, I think we've all asked this God at some times. It's like, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive that person? How long do I have to put up with that person? You know, right? We all come to that place and Jesus says an unlimited amount of times. You forgive them like I would forgive them. You forgive them an, an unlimited amount of times. And we say, how can I do that? And he says, because you have this infinite power source within you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the power to forgive over and over and over and over. That's the simple reality. We have more power than we use. We just need to know that. <clears throat> Maybe you remember this story. We used this years ago. This was in a, in a Sunday school study or something. But let me share it again. During the Depression, this field, 
this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. It's called Yates Pool, I believe. Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay the principal and interest on the mortgage. So he was in danger of losing his ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, as he gazed, grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he would pay his bills. Then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. <clears throat> At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test one of one of the wells showed it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and mineral rights. Yet he'd been living on relief, a multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem, he didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. <clears throat> Many Christians live in spiritual poverty. They are entitled to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and His energizing power, but they are not aware of their birthright. What a, what a great story. And that's just so true. And if you, if you just take that and just think about your life as that, that oil well, it's, it's an oil well that would never, ever, ever run out of oil because we have this infinite source uh, of power. It's an internal source, and it's an infinite source. Now, one other passage today, and one other principle. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, and we read this last week, right? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. A few things here. Okay, this is written to us who have been raised with Christ. If you have received Christ as your Savior, if you are saved, you have been raised with Christ and you have this resurrection power, it is in your life. We have been, made, we have been made alive in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 6 kind of makes this even more emphatic, this idea of having been raised with Christ. Think, listen to what it says. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we also, that we believe that we will also live with Him. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's your reality. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about that more even next week, what that really actually, again, looks like in our life. But go back to Colossians 3 with me. Okay, we are dead to sin, we are alive to God. Just, just, just get that basic kind of fundamental truth there. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked. You, when you were living in them, note the past tense there, we once walked, we were living in them, but now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its image, after the image of its creator. Okay, 
Here's the third principle. And we see the contrast there between the old self and the new self, between an old man and a new man. And so here's what we need to know about this resurrection power. And this is really powerful. But the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is an expression of my identity in Christ. It is an expression of my identity in Christ. It is an internal source. It is an infinite source. It is actually an identity source. It is related, tied to my identity in Christ. In other words, this power is not me working harder in the flesh. It is me trusting more deeply in my identity. It is me believing that I am the person the Bible says. It is me, catch this, actually being me. We'll talk about that more next week. But it's really me just being me because I'm a new man. I'm a new creation in Christ. It is me being who I am. This Holy Spirit power, this resurrection power is just an expression of my identity in Christ. A couple ways to look at this. This resurrection power is not about how I behave, but it's about who I am. And we spend most of our time focusing on how we behave and how we feel about our behavior and what we think about our behavior instead of reflecting on who am I in Christ? Who does the Bible say that I am in Christ? Now that's not to say that I don't want to display certain behaviors, but what we will see if we look closely is that the behaviors I desire to display, that is who I am. And there is this power in who I am that helps me to live as I am. Am. So back in our Colossians passage, then we see this simple contrast. Paul says we once were, or we once walked, and we were living past tense. But now we're a new person. Now we're in Christ. We were spiritually dead, and our identity was in our flesh, and now our identity is in Christ. Let me illustrate the way most people view, I think, their life after becoming a Christian, okay? So John becomes saved. He believes and receives, and now he has been promised eternal life. So God comes to John and says, John, I'm so glad you're part of my family, and someday I'm going to bring you to heaven. But you know what? You, you, got, a, you got a few years, you, know, you got about another 50 or 60 years on earth to live. So here's what I want you to do while you're living there on earth. I want you to, I want you to work on your forgiveness, Okay? I want you to learn how to forgive and work really hard at forgiving like Jesus did, okay? Work really hard at being a forgiver. For, learn to forgive 70 times 7, and then I want you to work really hard on being a patient person. Can you do that? You're not very patient, so you're going to work really hard at becoming more and more and more patient with your wife and your kids and the people around you and work on that patience. And then I want you to love like Christ did, so you have to work on that love thing. Uh, you know, memorize 1 Corinthians 13, learn it inside and out, and, uh, and uh, you know what, and um, work really hard at becoming a better lover, and then I want you to be more holy. You can be a lot holier than you are, so I want you to work really hard at being holier, okay? Work really hard on your holiness, and, and if you work really hard, I think you can be holier tomorrow than you are today, and then finally, uh, learn to be thankful, and, and the same thing, work on, on being a victor, I want you to be victorious in every area of your life. Work really hard at winning all these battles. And I think that is how a lot of times we look at our Christian walk. And it sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, I should learn how to forgive. I should learn how to be patient. And all, I should develop those things in my life. But, but, but I, I don't think that's exactly the way that, that Christ comes at us. I, don't, I think there's a different way to approach our life in Christ. I think there's just a better approach. 
And what if this alternative way to view your life in Christ, what if this, this thing works like this, okay? So God comes along and says, John, okay, I want you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to see your identity in Christ. I want you to see your potential in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ, and this is who I have made you to be. And Colossians gives us a sense that that is the reality. So look at Colossians here. Look at Colossians here. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved and compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So, so what's Paul saying here? Well, work really hard at being holy and work really hard at being compassionate and work really hard at being kind and work really hard at being humble. No, you know what he says? You know what? And I don't have my jacket here today, but he says, I want you to just, just put it on. Just put on kindness. Just put on compassion. It just, it's not hard work. Just put it on. Just put it on. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so Jesus just says, hey, you've got this identity. You can just be who you are. You can just be who I recreated you to be. You're a new creation in me. You're in Christ. Just be who you are. Look again at who we are in Christ. Here's a list. This isn't a a total list. A lot of these things on this list are in the passage there in Colossians. We just read. Some of them aren't. We could add to this list. But this is who I am in Christ. I am victorious. I'm a conqueror. I'm strong. I'm confident. I'm satisfied. I'm, I'm at peace. I'm serving. I'm loving. I'm forgiving. I'm patient. I'm encouraging. I'm humble. I'm kind. I'm compassionate. I'm loved, adopted, holy, pure, genuine, faithful, thankful. That is who I am. Do you get the list? Does it resonate yet? That's not simply how I'm supposed to behave. That is who I am. I'm not just supposed to be patient. I am patient because I have the identity of Christ in me. I'm not just supposed to be loving. I am loving. I'm not just supposed to be forgiving. I am forgiving because I have the identity of Christ and I just need to put on forgiveness today. Get up every day, go to your closet, say, I'm going to put on some forgiveness today. I'm going to put on some love today. I'm going to put on some compassion today. I'm going to put on some kindness today. I'm not going to go out there and work really hard to be compassionate because I'm not going to do very good at that. But I'm going to recognize who I am in Christ and I am simply going to put on my identity in Christ. Tim Keller tells the following story about the power of Christ's resurrection. A minister was in Italy and there he saw a grave of a man who had died centuries before who was an unbeliever and completely against Christianity, but a little afraid of it too. So the man had a huge stone slab put over his grave so he would not have to be raised from the dead in case there is a resurrection from the dead. He had insignias put all over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. 
Evidently, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. So a hundred years later, the acorn had grown up through the grave and split that slab. It was now a tall, towering oak tree. The minister looked at it and asked if an acorn, which has power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude. What can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? Timothy Keller comments, the minute you decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection. The same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as immovable slabs in your life. Your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts. Those things can be split and rolled away. The more you know Him, the more you grow in the power of the resurrection. The truth is this morning, we all have these supposed immovable slabs in our life. We all have these emotions to deal with, these issues to confront, these circumstances where we want victory. We all have these things in my life we don't like, right? And I need to deal with these things. And I would just contend to you, I would simply summarize this story with this statement today. Who I am will always be more powerful than how I behave. Who I am in Christ will always be more powerful than how I behave. It just is. And so every day, remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Remind yourself, you know what? I am patient. You know what? I, I am loving. I am kind. That's who I am in Christ. That is who I am. I am not the old man. And we're going to look next week at then, then if I'm so patient, why am I unpatient so often? We're going to look at that. Where does the struggle with sin come from? What is the struggle from sin? Why is it such a force in my life if that's not who I am? And it's going to be amazing next week to look at that and unpack that reality because when we begin to understand this stuff, I think it really transforms how we live our life. So just know who you are in Christ and know that who we are in Christ will always be more powerful than how we behave. The power of the Holy Spirit that is in us it is just this identity sort. It is just, it's, it's just there in being who I am in Christ. And the reality is, just understand that the Father, that the Son, and that the Holy Spirit, they are a trinity. And they work together all the time. When Jesus was on earth, he lived under the authority of the Father. He lived under the, with the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all three of them working together. It will happen in your life the same way. That when we live out this thing we call the Christ life, it, in, it involves the Father. It involves the <clears throat> Holy Spirit in an amazing way. So the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, it's an internal source, not an external force. Just get that. It, it might show up sometimes externally, <clears throat> like it did with the disciples, and they did some apostles did some amazing things. We may do some amazing things. There may be people that do amazing things like that today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, number two, <clears throat> the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is an infinite source. It's not a limited resource. So we have an unlimited supply of this power surging through us, helping us be the person that God wants us to be. And third, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is an expression of my identity in Christ. And it's true for every one of us in this room equally today. We all, have the, we all have the exact same identity. We all have the access to the exact same power source within us. It's the same for all of us. And when he says we'll do greater works, greater works than, 
than Jesus did it. Part of that is because we're working together as a body. We're the expression of Christ all together. Today's big idea, the power of the resurrection is the power of life. It's the power for Monday morning. It's the power for Tuesday. It's the power for those troubled relationships. It's powered for those emotions that we just can't seem to, to let go of. It's, it's the power to conquer our past. It's the power to, to, to believe and, 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 to, and, to, and to charge into the future doing great things for God. It's the, it's the power of life. It is. So ask yourself, where are you on the spiritual journey? Where are you at on that spiritual journey? We're all somewhere. We're just considering Christ. We've believed, we've received, and now we're at the point of surrendering to Him, hopefully. But where are you today? And what did God say this morning? What did He say about His resurrection power to, to me this morning? What did, I, what did I learn about this resurrection power today? And then, at the same time, where would I like to see the impact of this power in my life? And I think we can all look at that. There's all of us have some area where we would love to see his resurrection power become more of a force within us. And where and how can my identity in Christ shape my behavior this week? Let me leave you with this quote. The proof of Christianity is not a book, but a life. The power of Christianity is not a creed, but a Christian character. And wherever you see life that has been transformed by the grace of God, you see a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. We talk about those 500 that witnessed Christ resurrected from the grave and those 500 went out into the world and, and became 250 billion people today that claim to follow Christ. We went from 500 right after the resurrection to 250 billion today. But we are one of those. When we live the life of Christ, when we live in our identity, uh, we are one of those who are witnesses of his resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for who we are, for what you've done in our life, that we are new, a new creation. We're not the old person anymore. We once walked that way. That's who we were in the past. But now, but now we can put on the new man. We can just put on forgiveness and kindness and holiness and, and that's just who we are. Help us this week, every one of us this week as we get up and we go out the, out the door the, tomorrow and Tuesday and the rest of the week just to, just to realize who we are in you and to go out and to be a witness of your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.